Welcome, adventurers. This is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host, Remix Sakura. And I'm your other co-host, Demi. And today, we're going to be talking about Ulda again. Some more. Oh, man. When will we stop? <laughs> I think this is the last time that we're going to be talking about Ulda for yeah. a little while, or at least focusing exclusively on Ulda. Yes. I hope you've all enjoyed it so far. We had so much to say. We still have a lot more to say, though. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so let's get to it. All right. In our last episode, we started to talk about the characters, our heroes that hail from Ulda. We only had time to talk about Nanamo and Raubon because we had so much to say about them because we liked them so much. But there was one specific point that we didn't get to cover. We know how close they are and what a good pair they are and how well they work together and also how much of the plot of Ulda has centered around kind of their bond. So this has led some fans to scratch their chins and say, hmm, I wonder if there's something going on there. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if maybe that's there's like something hidden underneath there, maybe something that will happen in the future that's a little bit... More than friendly. Hmm. I'm seeing a common thread here with the Eorzean leaders. At least between Limsa and Uda. Oh? Yeah, because when we were talking about Limsa, we were talking about how Melvib and Einsar maybe had some dark relations, as we put it last <laughs> time. And so... Maybe, definitely. So maybe the two of them can get together in a romantic sort of way. Yeah, this is the problem with workaholics. If you spend all of your time around, like, one person, <laughs> you can't help but form a bond with them. These poor workaholics. <laughs> <laughs> so in this debate, each of us is going to take one side and argue, will they or won't they? Or should they or shouldn't they? I will be for the pro, yes, Nanamo X Raubon is totally a thing. It totally will be a thing which is completely unrelated to my personal opinion, cough, cough. <laughs> and I will take the con side. Maybe they won't end up getting together, which unfortunately is not the, well, it kind of is a stance that I'm taking, but at the same time it isn't. And you'll see why as we maybe delve a bit deeper into the pro-ship side here. Yeah. Do we ship it? Do we not ship it? Do we think it'll happen? What And also, what is the writer's intention with them? That's also very important. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking, like, I might jump in with some things as well yeah, on the pro side. So my argument is very strongly in favor that the story authors of Final Fantasy XIV absolutely intend for them to be a couple. There's a lot of things that point to that. So a while back, I was reviewing a... YouTube video commenting about patch 2.55 and this was way way after the fact but one line that was said stuck with me a lot in this sort of shocking aftermath of like oh my god Nanamo's been assassinated somebody commented this is so shocking because it's almost as if Nanamo and Raubon were kind of the same character they were always the reference point to each other and so much of like their characterization has to do with their closeness. And that's that's absolutely true. And I think that one of the, the biggest indicators of 
you know, the writer's intention is how much emphasis is placed on them as a pair. There's no other like pair of characters that has this much emphasis. Like they're always seen together. Like they're, they're usually pictured together. And here's the thing about storytelling. Whenever you do that with two characters, the minds of readers and viewers or whatever medium it is, is going to usually start spinning into like, I wonder if the writers intend them to be a couple. That's just kind of how our most people's minds work. And that's going to be especially true if they're male and female. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a good thing, that it's very heteronormative, but I think that it's true. And it's it's a device that the writers are absolutely using. I mean, the story team of Squeenix and Bonriota and Koji Fox, they're not perfect. I do have some gripes with them, but I have a lot of faith in their skill. And I, and I feel like nothing is ever done by accident in a good story. Everything is on purpose. And I mean, there's no greater illustration of this than the whole Ula storyline from like patch 2.4, 2.5 on. It's all about the two of them going through this trial, like Donovo gets assassinated, Railbond loses his arm, gets thrown in jail and gets a huge betrayal by this dude he thought was his friend. And the fact that they both come out alive, you know, mostly whole, and come out on the other side. In, in the last episode, I was saying that there is some tension, but, but at the end, they, they come through it together. And to think that they would go through such a thing and not somehow become closer because of it would be almost unthinkable, almost like bad storytelling. And I think like their relationship has evolved over time. They, you know, they've known each other for a very long time since Nanamo's been young. And there is that uh, Tales from the Calamity story we mentioned in an earlier episode where, like, Rabban goes up to Cartano and Nanamo's really, really worried. And I thought it was kind of cute. And and, not, and Amy is like, her suffering is not cute. How dare you? <laughs> it isn't, but, though. But, you know, when I read that, I can't help but think, like, she has kind of a crush on her best friend. That seems pretty, that seems pretty clear uh... to me. i understand where you're coming from especially because it's a male and a female being portrayed together as a unit coming though from a viewpoint that really isn't like most people and maybe a lot of you don't know about this but i identify as a romantic i fall somewhere on the aromantic spectra which put pretty simply i just don't usually experience romantic feelings for other people. And so when I take a look at Raoban and Nanamo, there never really was a moment where I said, well, what a romantic thing that Raoban has done for Nanamo or that Nanamo has done for Raoban. I might think, oh, what a great sacrifice they've made for each other. Or look at how close they are, look at how trusting they are. But to me, they've always been portrayed as this unit. As long as I've been playing the game, it's been Nanamo and Raban. And there's always been that intimacy. And so, yes, I do see them as a pair, but maybe not so much as a romantic pairing, but something that perhaps falls between. Something that blurs the lines of what a romantic pairing is and what your typical friendship is. For me, it's very certain that they're very, very close. Oh yeah, absolutely. You want to know a moment for me when I thought, wow, that was so romantic? 
And you're probably going to yell at me, but... What? When Taleji is, like, egging on Raoban by saying, like, shit about Nanamo after she's dead, I was actually, I was actually rewatching some cutscenes mm-hmm. in, in preparation for the episode, and he says something like, she wasn't a very good puppet. I dare say that maybe she's glad that someone cut her strings. Oh! <laughs> and then... And then he gets fucking wrecked. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that's I, romantic? As, as soon as Robon like, romantic? sliced him in half, I was like, that is so romantic. That's no, him getting it's, angry. It's him <laughs> getting personally offended because Teleji is insulting Nanamo. It's him getting angry on her behalf. But wouldn't somebody, wouldn't somebody do the same for their best friend? But his reaction, his reaction is very extreme. Like, if it were a best friend thing, that could be could, for a friendship as well. But to go that far to have such an extreme reaction, to me, says that like the way that he feels about her is like on a different level. <laughs> uh, That's why we're I having don't this debate. Quite get that. <laughs> <laughs> I see that. I see that they're very, very close. I see that he holds her very highly. But I don't necessarily think that that's something that screams, well, I'm romantically attracted to this person. That's why ships are extremely anyway. subjective, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I do ship them as as a couple, just not couple. so much as a romantic couple, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, some sort of couple, just not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily romantic. Yeah. And when I look back... Kind of in retrospect, at like the 2.4, 2.5, 3.0 storyline of Olda. And I think about the plan hatched by Lolorito and Ilbert. It's very telling that at several points in the ordeal, Ilbert deliberately tries to press Raoban's emotional buttons. For example, he lies that he was the one to kill Nanamo for no other reason than to get him riled up. And here's the thing about that fight in particular. As someone who has done a little bit of martial arts, most people might think that when you're angry, you're a better fighter. No. The opposite is true. When you are angry, you are completely lacking in focus. You're reckless. Yeah, you're reckless. And that was the reason why Raoban who's usually like this amazing fighter, made such a critical mistake because he was completely emotionally compromised. And I feel like the fact that they were using Nanamo and how close they are to emotionally almost like cripple him mm-hmm. is very, very telling. It's like the fact that they knew that Raoban would go completely batshit if Nanamo was affected is like key to their plan. The plan would not have worked without that. Lolorito even says as much, that they were trying to push his buttons and at the same time get him to get so enraged that he would kill Taleji. That was key to the plan, that Lolorito wanted to eliminate not only Raoban, but Taleji. Mm-hmm. He says something when they're standing around in the Silver Bazaar and having this reflection, it went actually better than expected. I don't think he actually... I don't think he actually expected Raoban to get so enraged that he would actually just kill Taleji in cold blood, but that was essentially Lolorito's goal, to have them eliminate each other. It only worked insofar as he was able to eliminate Taleji, one of his rivals, so... 
I think that kind of shows not so much about Raban because it's, to me, it's pretty clear. Almost everybody knows that they are very close to one another. Whether or not they're a couple, maybe that's up for debate. But that shows how much Lolorito and Ilbert were calculating, we need to weaken Raubon. How can we best do this in such a way that we have the best chance of being able to eliminate both of them? Yeah, I just think it's very telling that they believe that Raubon's weak spot is not Well, it is. That they can't outfight him and they can't outsmart him. And that's the only way that they can really mm -hmm. get to him. But they had that in mind. Absolutely. Speaking of going back to how how people see them, I think Wulda actually does does see them as a couple, or at least some of the populace does. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I've talked about kind of like the big things that I think support the notion that the writers intend for them to be a couple. But there's also a couple of little things. For example, Sleeping Lollafell. Ah, uh, yes. The Sleeping <laughs> Lollafell we mentioned, I think, two ep was it two episodes ago or was it last episode? It was last episode when we were talking to Lunavox. Yes, so last episode we talked about it. <laughs> we, were, we were discussing the Sleeping Lollafell and his the contents of his dream. Yeah. I can't even repeat what he said. One, because I can't say it without laughing. <laughs> Oh, I can, but we are a safe for work podcast, so yeah, really, we're we told iTunes that we were clean, and uh... he likes Raubon very, very much. <laughs> and it's just, it's one of those things that makes you go, "Is this game really rated T for Teen?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the thing about Sleeping Lollafell. He is an untargetable NPC in Camp Drybone. The home of lewd NPCs. Mm -hmm. The only reason that we know that his name is Sleeping Lollipel is because someone on the North America localization team decided that they were going to take this lewd quote and repeat it again in the flavor text for Nanamo's minion. <laughs> and I wish I was kidding. But it's no, true. I no, I can, I'm not I kidding. can second this. <laughs> this is how it is. It's just one of those decisions that you're like, wow, wow, Koji Fox. Could you think of nothing think better? <laughs> it's just one of those things where you're like, there's no way that they don't consider them a couple if they're doing that. Because it's a de very deliberate decision. Uh, I almost forgot one really, really important thing about the 3.0 set of cutscenes. Mm-hmm. So the second to last scene you see of the entire Ulda storyline in 3.0 so far, not, not counting Tales from the Dragonsong War, which gave us a little bit more information. The second to last cutscene is when Raban takes the wake up potion, goes to Nanamo's room, and just kind of makes her drink it so that she'll wake up. She smiles. He says something like really poetic about like the sunrise in Thandalin. <laughs> <laughs> and then she smiles and everyone's, everything's like honky-dory, kind of. The first time I saw that scene, I was starkly reminded of Sleeping Beauty. Well, she's asleep. Honestly. Yeah, but <laughs> it's so cliche, though. I mean, it's, it's all right, but it's so cliche. The fact that it is so cliche says to me that it was absolutely the, the director's intention that everybody think, God, this looks like a Sleeping Beauty scene. And I'm going <sighs> to tell you, the first time... 
I saw this scene. I like completely lost it once I realized what was happening. I was like, oh my God, is this really happening? Oh my, are they going to kiss? Is he going to kiss her? Oh my God. No. Is this really going to happen? No, nope. no, no. Oh, nope. oh okay. I for, but for half a second, you're like, wait, I've seen this movie. I know how this works. No, it's not supposed to end like that. Eh. <laughs> the scenes where I lost it, <laughs> the scenes where I lost it was that hugging scene. Um, it was oh, in 2.44, I believe. Or 2.4. The hug. Yeah, there's a hug scene in which Nanamo shows some extreme vulnerability, emotional vulnerability in this scene. And she's talking with Raban about what to do about the Crystal Braves and where their funding is being sourced from. And she's just so worried about what might happen and especially about Teleji Adeleji and and just the vulnerability that she shows and the the hug that's shared between the two of them. As well as in 1.0 actually, for that matter, when she sort of just runs up to Ralvan in There Might Be Blood and gives him this hug. You don't see many people hugging Nanamo. Yeah. If you think about it, I have not seen anybody hugging Nanamo, any sort of real physical affection of any sort from anybody other than Raban. There is this extreme closeness that you see between the two of them just in those interactions. And so that's what made me lose it. Not so much the Sleeping Beauty cliche. And I think a lot of people did see that scene as a kind of cop-out. They wish Nanamo had just remained dead and that was it. But, well, screw those people. Yeah, I'm kind of glad she's alive, but at the same time, I get, I get why they would be sore about it. Anyway, so my whole point of this is, it's the vulnerability I think that gets me, that would make me think that they are some sort of pair. Yeah. Um, just that that sense of closeness that you get, and not so much the cliche like, oh, they might kiss, because I didn't think for a moment they were gonna kiss. I was hoping for a hug. But I did not think for a moment maybe they're going to kiss. And that might just depend on who's watching the scene. Chances are, yeah, it's going to depend on who's watching it. Yeah. I definitely agree that she's super, super emotionally vulnerable. And it, and it makes me hurt for her how upset she is. She cares so much about Olda and and about justice. And she feels like the monetarist and Teleji can act with impunity against her people and she can do nothing mm-hmm. it goes back to her frustration of being powerless and being a puppet to the syndicate this is something that she feels very deeply on an emotional level she she cares a lot and she wants does. to do more she won't admit that to the public mm. you only see her talking about this her being really down on herself when she is in moments that she believes to be private she shows strength publicly for sure she does. Anyway, yeah, that hug is great. Everyone agrees. On whatever level you think it's great, it's great. It is. Yeah. <laughs> that scene is a very powerful scene for me anyway. Absolutely. So honestly, I do like them as a pair because their relationship works on several different levels. You know, I think that's the sign of, of like the strongest kind of bond. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't want to ship them because they see them as more of a parent-child. But there's a note I want to make about that. So I personally have always played the game with Japanese dialogue. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You have to admit that the 2.0 voice acting was not terribly good. So I switched like within the first week of playing the game. And in Japanese, not to get into too much of a grammar lesson, but there's a, a grammatical construct of honorifics. Basically, you append a certain suffix to people's names when you name them. And the suffix that you use with somebody is going to indicate your relationship with them and your relative rank to each other in the social hierarchy. And the thing is, in that Japanese language and construct, everybody has a social hierarchy. Everybody is in sort of like a a slot above or below someone else. And the manner that they use honorifics in Japanese makes it very, very clear that Raoban is subordinate to Nanamo. Nanamo is at the top of the social hierarchy. And Raoban considers himself a subordinate. And, and the, the other thing is that in the sociolinguistic construct of this, it's pretty much impossible for someone to break the rules of like social hierarchy in a parent-child relationship. That's one of the most rigid rules. So for, for example, in Japanese, Nanamo does not use an honorific with Raoban. She, she just calls him Raoban. Mm-hmm. And for her to do that with someone that was considered like a parent to her would be insulting. It would be like unthinkable. It would be an enormous social faux pas that I don't think that Japanese players could overlook. Conversely, Raoban, in every instance that I've been able to rewatch and take note of, he calls her Nanamo-sama. Now, it's worth noting that uh, Raoban and Pippin are the only people that call her Nanamo-sama, and everybody else calls her Nanamo-heika, which is more formal. Nanamo-sama is a little bit less formal, even though it's very formal, but it can show that maybe like she just have closer friends than others. Yeah, Heika, Heika is more of a Your Majesty thing. Yeah, it's it's a title. I feel like that precludes the possibility that the writers who are Japanese, I mean, this story just gets localized into English, it precludes the possibility that they consider them to be parent and child. That's just my two cents. Mm-hmm. Conversely, when you're looking at the English version, and this could go either way, but in formal settings, Raoban tends to refer to Nanamo as your grace or her grace, depending on who he's talking to, if he's talking to her directly or not. When she's poisoned, he ends up losing it. And in this moment of great distress, he ends up yelling her first name. Yeah. So in the localized version, it could be going either way. It could be a pairing that is romantic it could be a friendly sort of thing a very close friendship or it could be father-daughter but it doesn't maintain that formality throughout like the Japanese version does yeah it's interesting to see how the localization can change the intention or, or what people perceive yeah I'm thinking maybe we should talk about that when we start looking into Ishgard yeah that might be an interesting lots of topic. social hierarchy there yes Yeah. Spoiler, next episode. Yeah, next episode (laughs) we're looking at Ishgard. Oh, that's going to be so exciting. Very. Democracy! (laughs) Everything that I wish were in Ulta, but unfortunately, (laughs) it's not there yet. (laughs) Yeah, really. So, So for the pro ship side, I've talked about a lot of reasons why I think that the writers intend for them to be a couple someday. I think it's still way, way off, and I think that... They're very, very slow burn with all of their ships, so I don't think it's happening anytime soon. But somehow, 
sometime in the life of this game, my money is on that's going to happen. I called it now. (laughs) And actually, I have a prediction about this that we're going to talk about later in the episode. Very cool. But there are also reasons why I just personally think they do make a nice couple. (laughs) They complement each other so much. And I think that they are able to jointly stand up to the sort of powers that be in Olda and stand up to this institution of monetarists and rich versus poor because they draw strength from each other, because they kind of paired up from unlikely sources. They both came from really different backgrounds. And I don't know how they met, and I would love to know. Cough, cough, lore book. Please. But the fact that they came from such different backgrounds and yet ended up as best friends is so inspiring and I also really like power couples so I just want them to like freaking find some way to solve all the problems throw out all the monitors and just freaking run shit in Ulda their way bam <laughs> haters gonna hate sunglasses go down yeah there's no question to <laughs> there's absolutely no question that they complement each other very well they have this trust and this loyalty that I think will end up standing the test of time in whatever respect it might be. And so I think they will remain a unit as the story goes on. That said, there are a couple of things that I have heard from other people that might put a spanner in the works, I think is the right, is that the right Yeah. And so, yeah, I'd like to talk about those for a little bit. The first thing is that Ralban seems to be a good deal older than Nanamo is. Yeah. They have known each other for a very long time, but the first time that we see them together in 1.0, Nanamo is in her teens, and Ralban, on the other hand, seems to be around the same age, or at least the same in appearance, that he is now. So keeping in mind that it's been, what, at this point around seven years since the Calamity or so? It's been five years, give or take more give (laughs) than anything but it's been five years plus since the calamity happened and Raban doesn't seem to have aged very much whereas Nanamo being a Lalafell they stop aging at a certain age so you really can't tell a whole lot but given that very little change has changed with regards to how Raban looks and especially given that in the Sultana 7 it's stated that both Pippin and Nanamo are very young Ravan is a good deal older than Nanamo is. Yeah. And so I can see why that would make some people uncomfortable with that ship. Yeah. I think even the fact that Pippin is Ravan's adopted son and he exists and he's around the same age as Nanamo, that's definitely on the weird side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for that matter, he, he might have had this fatherly aspect when Nanamo was young. Ravan, I I do see as this sort of ultimate dad. He's a cool dad. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't want Ravan as a dad? Not me. (laughs) I don't not want him as a dad. Yes, that... You don't not (laughs) want... So you do want him as a dad. (laughs) Is what you're saying. So if he did have that sort of fatherly aspect, I would hope that that connection has changed if it were the case that they were indeed a couple. Because otherwise things might be... Eh, kind of iffy. Yeah, that's why I was saying before that I think things have changed. This is true, 
I am totally open to admitting to holes in my argument, but I would be much more in favor of considering them best friends than father-daughter. I think if, if it's either going to be best friends or a couple, but in the end, no matter what you consider the nature of their relationship, they're adorable as hell. We can all agree on that. They are. <laughs> Anybody who says otherwise. Is a monetarist. Is a monetarist. <laughs> and therefore, well, we can't do a whole lot about them, can we? Therefore, <laughs> your opinion is invalid because Lolorito <laughs> paid you to say that. Yeah, therefore, you've clearly been blackmailed by Lolorito. <laughs> Shame on you. Oh, man. Speaking of father-daughter, though, because my, my actual opinion on whether or not Raban was like a father figure for Nanamo is I think there was another character who acted as Nanamo's sort of father figure. Yeah, finally we're moving on to some of the other characters of Ulda. A lot of them are Lalafell. I think all of the ones that we were planning on talking about today are Lalafells. Yep, they are all Lalafell. But hey, that's great. <laughs> I love Lalafells. It's a grand Lalafell conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> So so this person who I think was Nanamo's father figure at one point, and maybe still is, is actually Papashan. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Now to those who don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't, Papashan is the station master at Blackbrush Station in central Thanalan, and he also was a Sultan Sworn at one point. Yeah, he's a badass grandpa. He is, and <laughs> you speak with him. <laughs> Um, he's very, very consistently concerned with Nanamo's well-being. Um, I can imagine both as a sultan sworn and also potentially outside of duty, even when he's not playing guard, so to speak. He's still very concerned about where Nanamo is, how she's doing. In underneath the sultan tree, you don't see him as a sultan sworn, but he's really the one in charge of trying to locate Nanamo. Yeah, whenever Lady Lalira runs off from the palace, he's the one who's freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> and likewise, when Nanamo got poisoned, he's very, very crushed about it. And after she wakes up, if you talk to him outside Blackbrush Station, you'll see how elated he is that he knew, for example, that Nanamo would live, that she was alive this entire time, she couldn't be dead. And the thing that I think really stands out for me is after 3.3, there is a recap quest that you can do that basically sums up everything that you did in Heaven's Ward. And one of these encounters, one of these objectives is to meet with Lady Lilira, who is of course Nanamo in disguise, outside the Chamber of Rule. And when you do, it's learned that there are guards looking for Nanamo. And you hear at the end of the quest that Lilira's father is very worried about her. And so the connection that I'm making with this is, okay, so Nanamo's father is worried, but Nanamo's father is dead, right? But the first two syllables of Papa Sean's name could be a little play on words there. Aw, Papa Papa Sean. That's, yeah, that's my thinking. So... My my theory is that Papa Sean really was the acting father figure when Nanamo was growing up. And especially because he's been a sultan sworn for so long, he has 
had that chance to get to know Nanamo when she was very young and be with Nanamo when she was very young. And we don't know if Raban was around when she was five summers old, six summers old. So my guess is it's probably Papa Shan who was more of the father. The unofficial, official unofficial, I guess, adoptive father <laughs> in this case. Yeah. Now I'm picturing poor orphaned five-year-old Nanamo. I picture orphan Nanamo and then like Papa Shan reading her a bedtime story Aww. or something like that. Very cute. All right. The frown left my face when I pictured that. <laughs> anyway, he's a very, very, very caring character, even though we yeah. don't see him all that much. Yeah, he's definitely one of the few people on Team Good Guys in Ulda. <laughs> there are a lot of Team Bad Guys, unfortunately. Yeah, but there's one other member of Team Good Guys that we unfortunately don't get to meet until... 2.55, officially. That? That's Pippin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Pippin Tarupin. If you remembered that he was first officially introduced in the Sultana 7 as the Immortal Flames officer who was directed by Raubon to essentially take care of her in his absence, you would be forgiven for forgetting that because I honestly did. So when he kind of appears out of nowhere in 2.55, I, it was like I was seeing him for the first time. And he's like, hey, guys, uh, I'm Pippin, BTW. Uh, I'm Rob on Sun. <laughs> and at first, I kind of have this feeling like, oh, man, you're my hero. You're going to help break your dad out of jail. Yeah. This is, this is great. And then the next moment, I'm like, wait, who are you again? He's not very memorable. And when we do see Pippin... It seems like a lot of a lot of his characterization is just tied to the phrase, okay, dad. Yeah. That's my opinion of him. He's just, he's kind of bland, and I think they could do a little bit more with the fleshing out of him. Oh, yeah. I honestly think that they've missed a huge opportunity to give us another cool character on Team Olda Good Guys. And, like, I want to like him a lot, but they don't give us much to go on, and I think... They've just treated him poorly narrative-wise because I think there would have been so many other opportunities to tie him into the oldest storyline, like all through 2.0. All it would have taken is like one or two cutscenes of like having him come in, introduce himself, or maybe Raumont and Pippin talking. That's something I would have really liked to see. Like like their father and son, but there's you don't see any sort of bond between them at all. And the moments when they are together, usually Raumont's focus shifts to something else. It's just like, oh, hey there, Pippin. <laughs> Bye, Pippin. Yeah, I read a lot of criticism about the scene where you rescue Robon and everybody goes back to the waking stands that he doesn't seem that excited to see Pippin. That's so sad. You know? And I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt that it's just lack of fleshing out rather than like an actual lack of closeness. But it's like, he's basically introduced as someone who's supposed to be very important. But he doesn't feel very important. He's he's apparently one of the key relationships for a very important character, and we hardly see him at all. So it's like it drains all of the emotional impact of his like rescue effort. I would really give give the writers, I think, the benefit of the doubt because why would Raban adopt a son that he doesn't care about? Yeah, I just I just feel like they've they've missed opportunities. Like like I said, a couple of small introductions and small cutscenes throughout 2.0 would have changed the impact of that rescue so much. Mm -hmm. 
but we just don't get that. Yeah, and it's almost to the point where you just got to think to yourself, what purpose is he serving in the story? Because he's not interesting enough by himself. He doesn't even act as basically uh, a compliment to Rabon. Like, he doesn't work as, as someone who could expand on Rabon's characterization other than, like, you know, giving him more of, like, the Dad of the Year award. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, why would they put someone to have such key place in the story if they weren't going to do something with him? So then I'm like, okay, so Pippin has been apparently assigned to the Alamegan front for the duration of the story. So I do believe that in 4.0, which is probably going to be Alamigo, that they do actually give him some development, like he has a purpose, like he, and also that he becomes his own character. Oh, I hope so, too. Because there's so much languishing potential with him. Like I said, like, there's not that many people on Team Older Good Guys. And let's let's get more people on that team. It seems like Pippin will end up being fleshed out, in my opinion. I don't think that Square Enix would write in a character just to kind of leave him there. You know, just to have him yeah. act in whatever respect he's been acting in. Because he's not very important now. So here's hoping with Alamigo... We'll get some fleshing out of him. Yeah, I do believe that he will be important then, but I do wish that they had found a couple of ways to make him a little bit more important and impactful already. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, let's talk about somebody who has been very impactful on Uda. Oh? Yep, let's talk about somebody on Team Bad Guys. Oh no, we're on to villains. (laughs) Yeah, who has been fleshed out quite a lot. Who makes me very, very mad and who I despise... Almost as much as Teleji, but maybe not quite as much. I still don't like him at all, though. It's Lolorito. Oh, snap. <laughs> the number one wealthiest businessman in Ulda. Also the number one asshole. He, he really <laughs> is. And Lolorito... Lolorito is actually a self-made entrepreneur. Um, but yet he still goes by Lord Lolorito nonarito in some situations and that led me to think that in Ulda nobility maybe isn't so much based on blood I mean of course old money is going to help you a whole lot with getting onto the syndicate but really nobility comes with your wealth which reminds me a whole lot of the U.S. like yeah if you have old money you're you're probably gonna end up doing pretty well for yourself but you can also make this huge public persona of yourself for being for being wealthy, and you can do that yourself. It's interesting that he is a self-made entrepreneur, that he didn't start out that way, and he still has such a disdain for the poor, and he has this disdain for Raubon, who also brought himself up from being not so rich. That's true. Yeah, they came from kind of a similar background in that respect. Obviously, different places, different cultures. Chances are Lolo Rito has always lived in Huda his entire life. But I think Lolo Rito just took a different approach to it. He's been calculating from the start, it seems like. Oh, and that reminds me, though. Update to two episodes ago, when we were talking about maybe who was going to go on to the Syndicate next, right? Oh, and we yeah. were wondering, like, it's going to be a royalist, it's going to be a mantras. I think I know who's going on to the syndicate next, and it makes me really mad. Oh, oh yeah, we were talking about this. You were, you were telling me. Yeah. Okay, so 
why would Lolorito make this whole plan to eliminate Teleji unless he had someone lined up to take Teleji's place on the syndicate? And for that matter, why would he try to eliminate both Teleji and Raoban unless there were two pawns that were set in line to take over the spot on the syndicate, or the spots in this case on the syndicate? So he has to have somebody lined up. He would have to know the moment would be right for him to try and line up somebody who will be very, very, well, of great benefit to him. And so I think for that reason, it's going to be a monitress next. Oh no. Which is really sad. Because <laughs> that means nothing is going to change. Yeah. With that status quo. <laughs> and it could be even worse because it's not like Teleji and Lolorito particularly liked each other or worked together. But if you have someone that's just Lolorito's pawn, that's consolidating his power even more. That's just another vote for him. Yeah. Do you have any theories on who it is? Do I? Hmm. You know, I'm not sure. I, I don't think it'll be a Manderville for that reason, though. Aw. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be a Manderville, even though Godbert is, to my knowledge, a monetarist, or at least like a kind of neutral party. He, yeah, it's not going to be a Manderville. So, yeah, that's it's just very, very unfortunate. It could be someone that we don't yet know. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Theories for the future. So... After the events of 3.0 in Ulda, in the bonus story, Tales from the Dragon Song War, called for Coin and Country, we learn that upon Teleji's death, Lolorito, in sort of like a, a plea bargain of sorts, to make peace with the royalists, you know, team royalists consisting of two people. <laughs> that poor team. <laughs> <laughs> basically offers Nanamo the inheritance of Teleji's estate, all of his money, and half of Lolorito's money. Now, this is a very interesting and conniving play. And Nanamo does actually debate for some time whether or not she can accept it, but it's almost a rock and a hard place. She could refuse and make an enemy and, you know, perhaps lose an opportunity. For example, she mentions that she wants to send some money to the Scions, which she wouldn't be able to do. But if she accepts... He's got a little bit of a string on her. She did accept. So now I'm just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and wondering when is Lolorito going to try to call in his favor slash blackmail? Oh, no. Oh, no. So I have a theory. Go on. For the record. Relating to everything we were talking about in the beginning of the episode. Oh, no. I <laughs> I feel like if I were Lolorito, the perfect plan to permanently neutralize the royalist threat would be to blackmail Nanamo into marrying him. <laughs> Honestly. No way. <laughs> Honestly, it's the perfect solution. Why? Because he'll become sultan. The royalists basically become his camp. And we know that he doesn't respect Nanamo, so he's just going to attempt to browbeat her into submission and just completely control her from that, you know, position of, like, I'm a husband. So we know that we know that there is some sexism in the level 50 weaver quest. Basically, your NPC friend saves his crush from this guy that she's being set up with that basically is just, like, bitch-slapping her 
in an extremely sexist way and thinks that he can beat women. So is that an is that an attitude that prevails among people in Olda? I hope of not. sexism and and like submission of women. But I I honestly believe that Lolorito thinks that Nanamo is weak, and he thinks that with this blackmail plan and this money that's hanging over her head, that he can force her to marry him, and not only that, but to neutralize her emotionally neutralize her as a threat to any of his plans well he can he gave her this money as a sort of apology and now she's free to spend it as she likes how would that be used for blackmailing then it's like lolorito can say you owe me so to guilt trap her essentially or guilt trip some some kind of blackmail i mean it's it's hard to say the exact the exact mechanism it could be threatening by force it could be threatening to expose lies about what she did I can't say for sure what the exact plot mechanism would be, but I feel like when he does call in that favor, it's going to be something very, very bad. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, that's that would be consistent with his character, I think. I'm not sure that I'm entirely buying into the idea that he's going to try and force her to marry him, but... I mean, if that makes him sultan by their laws, then... It seems like the perfect plan in his, you know, schemes of just dominating Olda slash the world. Yeah, so I'm still not buying it. <laughs> well, what's interesting to me is how exactly do they stop his plan? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Anyway, just a theory. That's just a theory, a game theory. If I were <laughs> if I were Lilarito, that's what I would do. And if he doesn't do that, I'm going to be a little bit like, come on, I thought of this great idea about how you could dominate Olda forever, and you didn't use it. Your come game on, is weak. Enix, step up your, your game. game is weak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if that happens, then we'll probably get our answer about uh, what's up with Nanabo and Robon, right? I guess so. So as a villain, I actually like Lolorito because... He's got depth. He's got different dimensions. He's very, very good at being a villain, but he's not like flat or one-sided or too cartoonish. On the other hand, Teleji Adeleji was more of like the flat, typical mustache twirling villain who wasn't even particularly smart. So it's no wonder that he kind of lost the gamble that he's gone and Lolorito's still here. Teleji, I still do not like Teleji because of how... How cartoonish he is with his delivery of, like, everything. He's he's overtly... Yeah. ...kind of evil. You gotta kind of have to be subtle about these things. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why Lolorito is number one in this, and Teleji has always fallen behind Lolorito. In terms of business, and ultimately in terms of who lives longer. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, number two, not half bad. <laughs> He's, you know, he still had a good time on the syndicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Teleji is the owner of Sunsilk Tapestries, which for some reason actually happens to own like an acting troupe of some sort. Um, they put on like a play about Teleji, and Teleji's very, he's very, very overt about like, hey guys, I'm rich, I'm cool. My ego is enormous. Yeah. My stature is not. <laughs> Ooh, low blow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Anyway, so 
the the really cool thing about Teleji to note is that this acting troupe put on a play about Teleji. Um, it was like Cinderella, but Teleji, I believe, was like a main character, Prince Charming kind of thing. And it's kind of interesting because you see people like the monetarists now putting out this political propaganda to the people. Trying to say, hey, we're people too. We're good people. Yeah, we are, we are good people. We will not hurt you. Don't mind those refugees sitting in the streets. Don't don't mind them. We give them jobs, maybe, sometimes. Really crappy jobs where we exploit we them, but them, hey. But we aren't going to tell them that. Don't tell them. Do not let anybody know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, there's not a whole lot to say about Teleji. Like, he's a, he's a very cool character to study, in my opinion. And I know there's a lot of... There's probably a lot of fleshing out of Teleji that's possible with him. But most of what we see is just him standing in the Warrior of Light's way, supporting what's good for him, and not really planning ahead. He's not he's definitely not as calculating as Lolorio is. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of what I think of in terms of Teleji is how he compares to Lolorito. Yeah. It's almost like he had, he had like a chip on his shoulder. He was always trying to live up to Lolorito and copy him. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he just never did. Well, kind of fortunately, because now he's gone. Yeah. And I didn't like him in the first place, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was somewhat... I was somewhat glad to see him go. <laughs> I almost wonder if he overshot his ambitions a little bit because with the Omega weapon, that's basically like by force world domination. Mm -hmm. Maybe he shot a little bit too high. Maybe he should have just tried to consolidate power over Ulda first, which kind of seems to be Lolorito's plan. Maybe he, yeah, he might have been trying to be like, well, you want to take over Uldah? Well, I'm going to take over the world. <laughs> but really, that whole plot to take over Uldah may end up translating into a take over the world plot with Lolorito anyway. Yeah. We're not done with him, that's for sure. Yeah. We are not. And whoever this monetarist pawn might be, here's hoping it's not, but that's my guess. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting to think about what's going to happen to Ulda next. Mm -hmm. So who is our last Lala for the day? So the last Lala for the day, because we are running out of time, so I'm probably just going to keep this short, but our last Lala fell of the day is Dulala who is the person in charge of the Order of Naldal. And Dulala, Dulala we don't see a whole lot of either. She kind of is a neutral, really a lawful neutral character. If I have, like if ever there was an embodiment, if ever there was an embodiment of lawful neutral, it would probably be Dulala. And to me that's kind of frustrating. I don't know about you. <laughs> Yeah, she definitely has this stance of like, I'm just trying to keep order and stability in Ulda too, which means sometimes I'll support the Royalists, sometimes I'll support the Monterists, sometimes I'll support Raban, sometimes I'll support Lolorito. Yeah, which when when she supports Team Royalist here, it's great. But on the other hand, for example, allowing Lolorito to remain on the Syndicate, even though he did all that really nasty stuff. Essentially got Teleji killed. Put Nanamo into a coma. Like, you know, kind of capitalized on this. 
whole plan to kill Nanamo, which Teleji initially had. It's really frustrating. So, lawful neutral character for Miss, Mistress, Dulala. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like the Order of Nalthal has clean hands either. Yeah. Like no, we it, talked about in our first Ulda episode. So, she may have hidden motivations of her own. Mm-hmm. For good or for bad. It seems like she's she's kind of focused on promoting the status quo. Just yeah. keep keep things for the most part as they are, as they were written initially, and we don't really want to change anything, but maybe that'll end up helping her and her order <laughs> in the long run. Yeah. Still a lot of possibility there. And that is all the Lalas. Well, all the Lalas that we wanted to talk <laughs> about for today. There are many more Lalafell within Uda, like Mamodi and... Momodi. <laughs> That's the only one I'm thinking of off the top of my head, but I am I am certain there are more. Yeah, maybe one day we'll go into NPCs from job quests. And that, my friends, is all that we have to say about Ulda. Yep. That sure was a lot. That was a lot. <laughs> Three parts. I'm thinking wow. that when we do get to Ishgard, it'll probably be a bit shorter and Gridania after that. Yeah. But, yeah. we We had a lot to say about it. So Yeah, we're a little bit biased. Slightly. <laughs> <laughs> so the person who roleplays Nanamo. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have to admit, I love roleplaying Rova, but Olda has a special place in my heart. I think if I put I myself as a person into Eorzea, that's where I'd want to live. Because I'm a big city person. That would probably be where I would end up living. I don't know how much I would necessarily enjoy it given everything that's going on. But that would probably be where I would end up, either there or potentially Gridania. Yeah. Like I said, when I compared it to New York City, it's dirty and vibrant and interesting, and it's a lot of contrast. It is. It's a lovely place. It's a terrible place. <laughs> it's Ulda. <laughs> Come it visit. It is a place. <laughs> anyway, so... Anyway, so as this is the conclusion of this episode, we would like to wrap up with our usual story. Every episode, we like to recount the events that have gone on in-game, could be in-character or out-of-character, that have occurred in the past two weeks, I suppose it is now, since we made our last episode. So, Remix, if you would like to start. Hmm. So... We're currently playing the waiting game for patch 3.4, where we're going to get new main scenario, new extreme primals, loads of new content. But until then, what are we all doing to keep ourselves occupied? Well, I'm working on some of my alts, like my Merlweb alt, my remix character on Grigamish, who was my main, my other character on Balmung. But also, I've been focusing a lot on my crafting, Specifically the money-making part. <laughs> so since my gear and stats are basically like completely bonkers at this point, like I, I pentamelted all my stuff, I decided to be one of those people that advertises my crafting services on Party Finder. So with my main Natsukima Catboy, I put up a little post on Gilgamesh that says, Catboy Crafts Inc. at your service with a little kitty face. 
(laughs) And there is more and more competition among crafters. I've heard of people going so far as to level alts so that they can have more than three specialists. I've heard of that too. Yeah, that's pretty hardcore. I'm I'm not going to go that far, to be honest. <laughs> but I do as much as I can with my carpenter, blacksmith, and armor. There is a lot of similarities between armor and blacksmith. But for the most part, I actually use armor. But just last night, I was making somebody an icon iron lapidary hammer. The ironworks level goldsmith main hand. And that is a blacksmith recipe. Now, because of the way the cross-class skills work in the three-star rotation, there's actually a slight difference in the way the rotation works for the two jobs because you can't cross-class innovation. So I had to do a little bit of a trick to get innovation up with my specialist skills on blacksmith. And basically, I hadn't been doing a lot of blacksmithing, so... I made a mistake in my calculations, botched the recipe. It, it, was a, it was at like 80% HQ. And all I would have had to do was just like press the last like careful synthesis. And like, maybe I wouldn't have gotten to use uh, Byer God's Blessing. But even then, like I had a pretty good chance of doing it. But I missed my calculations, lost all the durability and botched the recipe. Now, this is something I'm doing for somebody else. Like they, they've paid me to do. So I'm like... Oh crap, this sucks. But of course, I'm gonna make good on it. I, I've almost sort of sort of taken on crafting as sort of like part of my RP. Mm-hmm. Natsuki's in character, he's a crafter. So I feel that my customers always have to good have a good experience. I have a high quality guarantee at Catboy Crafts Inc. So of course, I'm gonna replace the mats with my own money. It's my fault. But <laughs> Because I had to replace three luminous fibers. <laughs> oh no. It cost me about 600k to like make right on this recipe. Ouch. <laughs> and I, I was so mad at myself for like making this miscalculation, but it's like, whatever, it's in the past. And the most important thing for Natsuki is that his customers are satisfied. Mm-hmm. And even though there was a slight delay, at the end of the day, the customer got their product. Yay. And their business's reputation was saved. Woo-hoo. But sometimes your business takes a hit when you yep. screw up, just like in real life. Entrepreneurship <laughs> is, is hard. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Very nice story. So the story that I have for you today sort of is based, or not really based, but a continuation on the story that I had for you a couple episodes ago in which Scoot had been adopted by some more people. <laughs> Do you remember that? Where I, I yep. told you about all the siblings that he had and all the adoptive parents. Well, as it turns out, just the other day, Scoot encountered another adventurer in Eorzea. And this was no ordinary adventurer. It was a minimum height Lollafell, also a plains folk. And this Lollafell's name was Hoot Patoot. Gasp! Long lost family member. Yeah, they looked quite a lot like Scoot. And so this character, unlike Scoot, wanted to be the biggest, baddest puncher, so he's a pugilist. But yeah, one of my friends decided that they were going to go make an alt, <laughs> and so they made a brother to Scoot. 
So Scoot now has an older brother. But on top of this, another friend of mine is planning on adding another Patoot to the family. And that one will probably take on the name that I was going to have for Scoot initially. That'll be Cute Patoot. That'll be a white mage. And in addition to that... The biggest, baddest healer? Yeah, the biggest, baddest healer. And in addition to that, there is another friend of mine who decided that he wanted to make some alts just for decorating purposes, but he was going to make them patoots as well. (laughs) So we now have, what is that? Four, five, six new additions to Scoot's family, but these are more or less biologically related. Oh, and add on to that the fact that I made an alt, but... Yeah, that's that's just an alt <laughs> with the Patoot last name. So Scoot will never know that one. So I guess you could say seven siblings. It's a it's getting to be a big family, that's for sure. Aw. The Patoots are coming. The Patoots are coming. Yeah, Remix was talking about this earlier and I think called it the Patoot World Legion, which Yep. <laughs> I, uh, Scoot really isn't set on taking over the world. He he isn't. Um he just wants to he would like to be Sultana, not Sultan, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> so Doesn't he, he know that we want democracy? I think he does. <laughs> he does, but yeah, he he doesn't want to take over the world. So the Patoot World Legion, even if it's called the Patoot World Legion, really, as far as I know anyway, is not set on taking over the world. As for what the other Patoots decide to do, that's up to them. <laughs> <laughs> but Scoot really isn't a fan of trying to take over the world. Aww. So, yeah, that's that's my story. Lots of alts. I'm just picturing all of them doing the Manderville at the same time. <laughs> we were thinking of doing that, actually. Just once everybody's there, get... Well, it'll probably be four Patoots at once. Because one of them controls, like, four different, four different Patoot alts. So it would be myself, and then the friend that made Hoot, the friend that made Cute, and then the friend that is making all the other ones. So it'll be four different Patoots doing the Manderville. Stay tuned. Let's hope. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yep. So we actually have a little bit of news to talk about. Because we had uh, Luna Vox's interview, we actually got a little backed up on news because that was pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. So first thing we want to announce is that we're glad to say that our Murder Mystery Night RP event on Lich was very well received and a big success. So we want to thank everybody who's listening that attended. And you're free to come play with us on Lich anytime. And I also wanted to give a thanks to a fellow podcast, She Heals, I Tank, who made an announcement about it on their community segment, You Rock. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, guys. Yep. So even though we rarely talk about game news, there was finally some game news in patch 3.4 that relates to RP. Yay. Oh, yes, there was. There is now going to be a roleplay status for characters to use. That is awesome. You'll be able to find your fellow roleplayers easily now. They won't be hiding. Hopefully not. I know a lot yeah. of people sort of associated it with ERP. We're just like, ho ho, ERP status. Yeah, there were definitely. Everywhere. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know how we feel about them. Yeah, kind of a little bit short sighted. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that Square Enix decided to put this in is huge because they're acknowledging the RP community and want to support it and want to help it grow by giving us a way to find each other. So haters can say whatever they want because Squeenix loves us. Yes. And we love them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so so we're, lo- we're looking forward to everybody having their RP status up permanently. And uh, related to growing the RP community, one thing I've been thinking about doing, planning on doing, is making a link shell on the Gilgamesh server where we live for not only listeners, but anyone who just wants to have a place to chat in character on a very, very casual level. So by the time this is out, there will be a little bit of a poll on Tumblr and Twitter to maybe gauge some interest. But (laughs) All right. Definitely if you see Scoot Patoot, or Natsuki McCatboy on Gilgamesh, come talk to us. Yep. And we'll all be friends. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. And the last bit of news relates to the thing that's coming up that's (gasps) going to be so awesome. Yes, Fan Fest. (laughs) Fan Fest. We're very much looking forward to it. I've got my t-shirt all ready to go, and it's, it's very exciting. Yes. I don't know if we've had a chance to talk about it on the show, but we designed two t-shirts with the phrase, roleplay is my true endgame. And they are available now on our Redbubble shop. You can definitely find the links on our Twitter, MusecastXIV, our website, MusecastXIV.com, Facebook.com slash MusecastXIV, and everywhere else we're on social media. You can definitely find the links. If you can't, send us a message. And we have two different designs. They come in black and white, so you can get it on whatever background color you want. And also, Redbubble's really nice. You can also get them on hoodies or bags or a whole variety of different products. You can even get them on mini skirts. So, like, if anyone <laughs> gets, gets this on gets this on their butt, like, they'll be they'll be a hero in my eyes. I will laugh at them. <laughs> yeah, but I commend them for their for their. Uh, Dedication? Dedication? Question mark? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for those of you who are a little bit less brave, want to attract less attention to your butts, a t-shirt will do. Yes. There's many different cuts, and we've both personally ordered one and can attest to their quality. They're very nice. I like it a lot. Yes. Yes. So if you want to represent your love for RP or want to help support us a little bit, order a t-shirt. Other ways you can always help support us is on our Patreon page, also MuseCast XIV. And also, you can now send a one-time donation on PayPal via our PayPal button on the website. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you don't have yeah. to send a, a donation every month. Unfortunately, that means you won't get access to our bonus content on there, but it's a very, very nice way to show your support. Yep. And we will very much appreciate it. Yep. Even if it's just $1 to just show that you love us, you know, anything helps pay the bills because there are bills associated with the podcast, mm-hmm. such as my headphone cable snapping. <laughs> and the big one's the podcast hosting and all this equipment we have. And uh, we were actually just talking recently about what our audio setup is going to be like at FanFest in the hotel room. Oh, yeah. We we do have quite a few um, 
interviews that we were hoping to do at yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. Very, very exciting. Yeah, we don't want to give away names now, but big things are happening. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we take this very rare opportunity to bring you some really, really awesome stuff. And besides the notable names that we'll be chatting with, we're looking forward to meeting all of you. Oh, I also ordered uh, stickers from Redbubble. So definitely if you come up to us during the convention, we'll give you a sticker. Uh, We're going to have a portable recorder. So we want to just also talk to just talk to random people, random role players to get a little bit of their thoughts. So, you know, by the time that we're done meeting everybody, hopefully we'll have a really, really special edition episode for all of you. It's going to be great. I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. And yeah. this is also the first time that Remix and I will be meeting in person. So, yay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. I'll get to see just how short you are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get to see just how tall I am. Just how tall you are, yes. Yeah, we we will literally be the Lollafell and the Femro. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Anyway, so, yeah, this concludes our episode of musecast 14 episode this is, 7 this has been a long episode in my at least from what i'm looking at right now yeah you were worried we weren't gonna have enough that's true i was <laughs> um so as we said before you can of course follow us on tumblr and twitter and facebook, facebook? and you can also listen to us if you are not listening to us right now on any of these platforms but you can listen to us on itunes as well as stitcher and now google play as well yep and we've got patreon going on we've now got paypal going on so two ways to show your support if you would like and i think that's everything i think that's all of our social media outlets for now it is it is yeah so lots of ways to listen and lots of ways to get in touch with us and different ways to support Either buy Patreon, one-time donation, or buy some swag. Yeah, buy some on Redbubble. Yep. Well, thank you so much, listeners, for joining us once again. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing the Holy Sea of Ishgard. Happy adventuring, and may you ever walk in the light of the crystals.